0: Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Good to see you. I'm glad you're here today, man. I'm so excited if you're joining us online, if you're listening to the podcast later, man. Thanks for being here today. We are in week number 2 of our series that we've called Revival Hope. Keep the fire burning. You know, last Sunday we kicked it off with a message that we called Let's Go, and if you missed it, I really do want to tell you to go listen to it. It kind of kicks off what we're doing in this series as we really are just really calling us back to this hope that we have for God's spirit to be poured out and to bring about revival. So if you have that Let's Go card that we gave you last week, hopefully you have it on your fridge or in your car or whatever to remind you that we're going for it. This is a season in which we cannot withdraw, but we have to respond because we believe that revivals happen when God's people respond. Amen? Like we believe that. So our prayer this year, 2023, is it's all for you, God. Pour out your spirit, God. Do what only you can do in and through us. We really believe that. We really want to invite everybody into that. No matter where you're at on your journey in life, God wants to do something in your life. You're not here by accident today. You're not just visiting today. You're not just here with a friend today. You're here because God wants to speak into your life. We believe that wholeheartedly. And, you know, we are saying this whole year, hey, we want to keep the fire burning in our hearts, a passion for him. This is the end of flameouts and burnouts, right? This is not flame up quickly for Jesus and then die out quickly, right? This is not, hey, let's go uh, say I'm burned out, no more saying, uh, I, I, you know, I've, I'm done serving, I'm done trying, because here's the deal, like, so many of us burn out. It's not because God's not good. It's because we try and go and run a marathon without training. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not about trying hard right now. It's about training hard. And as Christians, we do this all the time. If you're a believer in which you believe, hey, I can go out and run a marathon, but I don't have to pray. I don't have to read the Bible. I don't have to, I don't have to be in a group. I don't have to go to church. Listen, listen, this is a time where we're saying no more flameouts, no more burnouts, because whenever we live right with the Lord, it's nothing but, it's nothing but burn bright, right? It's nothing but. Flame up. So, I'm encouraged today to witness really what I believe is a deep work that God is doing in our church these days. Every week I get to hear stories about what God's doing and and I, I believe he's meeting people right where they're at. And maybe you have that testimony, like God met you. You know, this church isn't about, hey, trying to get you someplace to meet with God. Like, we're just more like, hey, there's God. We wanna point to him. We wanna give him glory. And guess what? God sees you right where you're at, and God comes to you. God finds you. And I just hope today that you would just say, you know what, Lord? I want to open my heart. I want to open my eyes. Are you all with me today? Yeah. I haven't heard one. Yes, yes, amen. Let's go. Let's get it. Where you got a lot today? Come on. I thought I was talking to an empty room for a second. Man, there is an expectation building in this church. I believe there is. God is inviting you to deeper levels of trust and devotion and passion. And I just want to say that I think it feels different for some of you because this is, not an inv- this is not a challenge born out of guilt or a have to, but it's an invitation. Some of us have been challenged in our faith, but I'm trying to tell you, you're being invited. And whenever there's an invitation and we want more of God, it comes, it comes in a form of authenticity. That's what we all want, right? We want an authentic desire for God. Not one, not one challenged, not pushed in the back toward God, but one that is more like an invitation to say, you can come. You can come. Come to all, come all who are weary, heavy burden. So again, here we go, church. We're about to get some revival hope. You all ready? Look at your neighbor and say, Let's go. Look at the neighbor you said that you didn't choose. Tell them, I'm sorry I didn't choose you first. Now say revival hope to them. Let's go, Revival Hope. All right, you can open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to be in that today. In this series, we will be teaching from stories of revival that we are finding primarily in the Old Testament, specifically stories of God working through people and their faith, but also in their lack of faith, which we all need that encouragement because God's works sometimes in spite of us. But we're going to get to that story of jo- and Joshua in just a moment. First, I want to show you a picture of a different Joshua. This is a famous violin player named Joshua Bell. And when I say famous, I know that's relative. How many famous violin players are there? I'm not sure. But nonetheless, if there were, this is him. In the world of violinists, he's considered one of the best. About 10 years ago, the Washington Post did kind of a famous experiment on Joshua Bell. Uh, most nights, you know, he plays to sold-out crowds. So, one, you know, he might be playing to a crowd like this. People pay hundreds of dollars to have a seat. To hear him play and do his thing and be blown away. But the experiment that the Washington Post did was two days after a concert like this, Joshua Bell did a concert for free outside of a subway station. And to make sure that he wasn't recognized, he put on a baseball cap. Because, you know, so famous and all. He played many of the same songs he had played two days before. And he performed for an hour. And he actually played on a 300-year-old violin that was worth $3.5 million. He even had a tip jar. They counted 1,100 people that walked by him in 45 minutes. Only seven people stopped to listen to him play. When his performance ended, no one clapped. No one seemed to notice. He did net $32.17 in his tip jar, $20 from one person who actually did recognize him. That baseball cap did not throw her. <laughs> now, this is not surprising in some ways, is it? Like, But I do believe this little experiment is so symbolic Of so many things in life, how many of us know? How many know that we walk by beauty and greatness all the time? We are too busy. We are too busy to notice what's right in front of us. Sometimes, we we could also consider it this way: that perhaps we don't even know what really greatness is unless someone tells us. So what I mean by that is often we choose to ignore things and walk by things unless unless everybody else is stopping, and so we're always looking for someone else to tell us what is great, instead of just acknowledging. But there are great things if we would only stop and pay attention. Meaning, are we too busy or too distracted? I mean, we all carry around these distraction machines, don't we? These distraction machines, so we don't have to pay attention to anything that's going on around us or in us. It's just scroll, baby. Just scroll. When in doubt, just scroll. When you're bored, just scroll. When you got two minutes of extra time, just scroll. When you're out of light, stopped in traffic, just scroll. And then the person behind you is going to say, ha, ha, get going. Light (laughs) screen. You guys smelling what I'm smoking here? I'm cooking, smoking. Are you smelling what I'm cooking? You guys. You guys. I'm cooking, cooking. Meat, smoking meat. You guys are with me now. Come on. Let's think about a bigger than greatness of a violin. All right? Like, how are we doing at God's power and greatness all around us that we often overlook, look past, around, over, because we are so preoccupied with doing our own thing. We're trying to get on the train, so to speak, to get about our day, to catch up on the gram, whatever we're doing. And I'm not just talking about the beauty of God's creation that we walk by all the time, which is enough, right? But I'm talking about, I believe, And this is going to be a challenge and a stretch for some of us. us, But I believe we are walking by miracles that are happening all around us. I believe we are walking by miracles that are on the verge of happening, if we would only notice. But we don't seem to notice them because we aren't looking for them. You see, in life, most of the time we see what we want to see. We see what we want to see. For example, I have seen God heal people. But there was a time in my life when I was not looking for anything like that. And when I wasn't looking for it, I didn't see it. But when I started looking and expecting and believing, I started seeing God heal people. But I'll even say this, I'll take it a step further, is even in my beliefs, I believe God can. And maybe even I've started looking for it a little bit, I have to be honest, some days I'm not expecting anything. So therefore, even if I believe in things like healing or the miraculous, that God can do anything, but if I don't expect that, Guess what? I don't see it. Revival is rooted in hope. Revival is rooted in expectation. If you want God to revive you, to bring life to you, you have to expect that he can and that he will. We have a hope. We have to hope and expect for God's spirit to be poured out. We have to actually believe that it's going to happen. We have to be looking for his greatness. I believe the expectations of our faith have a lot to do with what we actually see in life. Because we see what we want to see. If all I'm focused on is going to work and putting in my 9 to 5, well, I mean 6 to 5, I don't want you guys thinking I'm taking it easy around here. (laughs) And then I go home and I wait for the weekend. If that's all I'm expecting, if that's all I'm working towards, if that's all I'm focused on, guess what, that's all I'm going to see. But if I'm saying, you know what, I believe God has more. I believe God's going to do something in my days. I believe God's got something for my friends, something for my family. I believe God's got more in store that I can't even imagine yet, but I am looking for it. Guess what? Guess what? I might just, perhaps, I might see it. A couple of years ago, we did a teaching series we called Miracles Everywhere. It was a teaching through the book of Luke, the life of Jesus, and uh, as believers... One of the great things that God does is he gives us glimpses of the things that are to come. Glimpses of the kingdom of God. And so, for example, I mentioned healing. Healing is a a normal thing in God's kingdom. It's an abnormal thing in our world. But it's normal to God. Uh, Breaking free of an addiction is a normal thing in God's kingdom. It's an abnormal thing in our world. But what he does right now in our life is we get to see glimpses of what is normal to him and miraculous to us. We don't get to see everything now. We get to see some things now. I was talking to Mike King, leader here in our church, and he recently had a pretty serious heart condition. It was very concerning, potential surgery, the whole thing, right? His heart was operating at 30% capacity. Well, he came down one Sunday for prayer, and uh, our prayer team laid hands on him, prayed in the name of Jesus, all that good thing. And when he went back to the doctor that week, the doctor was amazed and his heart, at that point when they tested it, was operating at near full capacity. Near normal activity, which is very abnormal because nothing, (laughs) right? For him to have a normal heart is pretty remarkable because Mike's not normal. (laughs) I'm just kidding, Mike, I love you, bro. I love you. Everything concerning at that moment was God It was gone, and and, and Mike attributes it to prayer. But can I just say something about that? Mike went looking. (laughs) Come on, let it sink in. Mike went looking for healing. We see what we want to see. We experience what we want to experience. We experience what what we expect when it comes to God's kingdom. A lot of us want God to move in our lives, but we are not looking for revival in our lives. Instead, we're just looking to get through another day. We want God to help us with our life and our thing. So it's like, God, I I need you to help me in my efficiency plan to get to the train today. (laughs) What? That's not a good life. Our prayer needs to be, God, accelerate your works. Let us see and experience what is normal to you and miraculous to us. We want to see more of your kingdom come. So that was all set up to get us into the scriptures today. I told you we're going to be in Joshua 1. Today's title of the message today is Step Into the River. This is in the book of Joshua. Uh, if, you, if you, Just to give you a little bit of context about Joshua, in case you don't know who Joshua is, uh, if you've been in church for any amount of time, there's a good chance you do. But the this, this story really starts with the story of Moses. And, and Moses, of course, was called by God to go to Egypt to let his people go, to set his people free. And the book of Exodus is, is literally an exit from slavery into God's promised land. That's why it's called Exodus, right? So the people go through this great migration, this exodus out of slavery, which is a foreshadow of Jesus who sets us free of the slavery of sin and invites us into the promise of, his, of life with him in eternity. Well, this happened with God's people in the exodus. And whenever he miraculously lets them free of slavery from the Egyptians, yes, the, the Egyptians that we imagine in ancient Egypt... The Israelites, God's people, were enslaved to them. They're set free. And as they are journeying away, they encounter the Red Sea. Maybe you've seen a movie or maybe you've heard the story, but God miraculously parts the Red Sea. They walk across on dry land. Well, Joshua was a part of that movement. Joshua was one of the leaders of the people during that time. He had seen and experienced all this. Well, years later, what happens is as they're walking, God invites them to go into the promised land, right? He'd go into the promised land, and the people, they felt convicted, they felt hope, they felt, yes, we're going into God's promise, but then right at the moment when they were about to step into God's promise, which the promised land was a real place, right? It was what is now modern-day Israel. It was a land, in the scriptures flowing with milk and honey. Sounds delicious, right? It's a great place. Well, there, right before they step in, they get scared. We do this in life, don't we? God calls us into something, and then we get scared to step into it. This happens a lot. Well, years later, Moses dies. Joshua actually steps up to replace him as the leader of God's people. And God's like, let's try this again, shall we? It's been 40 years since the moment when they decided to not go into the promised land. They had been wandering in the wilderness. That's what they were doing, wandering, right? And he says, let's try this again. Joshua, I need you to be strong and courageous. This is like this famous moment with Joshua. In other words, it's like, let's go, bro. We got to do this, right? God says, I need you to go and do something you've never done and go somewhere you've never gone. That's a word for some of you. You need to go somewhere you've never gone, do something you've never done. I believe that divine moments and decisions are coming for some of us in the room today. This is a moment of true revival, Think about this moment, God's people. The people have been wandering for years, decades. They were full of regret, probably, but they were also full of hope. Does that sound familiar? Like, man, I don't know why I'm wearing it, but I'm hopeful. They were hoping in the promise of God. So let's look at the first thing that God says to Joshua, Joshua chapter one, verse two. It says this: "Now then, you and these people." Everyone say these people. Anybody ever said these people? These people. These people, they get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. So this is, again, the promised land, right? So right at the beginning of this journey, they would need to cross the Jordan River. The Jordan River served as a boundary between the wilderness and the promised land. The very first thing God tells Joshua to do. This is important, right? The very first thing he tells him to do is to cross a body of water. This sounds very familiar, doesn't it? They had been there before. It had been the Red Sea. They had seen this thing happen before. This is a story that the people knew. God was like, hey, how about we do a redo so we can get a revive? So, To understand the significance of God's call on the people to cross the Jordan River, I think it's important for you to know a little bit about the Jordan River itself. Because not all rivers are the same, are they? Some rivers aren't that hard to cross. Others are. The Jordan started at a place, the headwaters were in a place called Mount Hermon at an elevation of about 7,000 feet. Springs in the mountain fed the Jordan. Even snow and the springs that melted fed the, the Jordan River. And the Jordan emptied in a place called the Dead Sea, which is my favorite of all the seas, magical place, that Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest body of water in the entire world at 1,300 feet below sea level. And the distance between the headwaters and the Dead Sea, geographically speaking, wasn't really that far. And so you got to imagine that's 7,000 plus 1,300. It's 8,300 feet in elevation. This water is going downstream to the Dead Sea. And it's going down in a short amount of space, meaning it's going downhill. How many know that water moves fast when it moves downhill? So those water is moving fast. But I say all that to say, when the river wasn't during flood season or the rainy season, it was not much of a river. It was a pretty easy river to cross. In fact, um, in Joshua's days, there were places that were only three to six feet deep. In fact, I have a picture of the Jordan River. It was not that deep. <laughs> Sorry, I digress. Take that off screen. It's not that deep. Mm. Sometimes in life it's not that deep. But listen, however, during flood season, during flood season, it was a whole different situation. But of course, Joshua and the Israelites are told not to cross during the not that deep season, but during flood season. And during flood season, the waters would overflow the normal river, you know, uh, bed and fill into a second larger area known as the Zor, Z-O-R. Everyone say Zor. Zor. Yeah, like straight out of Toy Story, Zor, right? And water from the rainy season would fill this larger area called the Zor, and it would expand the riverbed to 150 feet wide. The river would be 20 feet deep, and it was actually sort of like a gorge. And so you can imagine, like, the river would, like, fill up this, like, canal almost, like these gorges. And so when they would step into the river, it was, it was steep right off the, right off the edge. So this completely changes during flood season, right? And this is the, mo- this is the perfect moment. God's like, oh, good. It's flooded. It's, it's, you know, it's treacherous. It's perfect. Right? He's like, hold my Bible. You know what I mean? We're about to do this thing. I love Joshua. He's not like, well, God, if we wait a few weeks, it won't be flood season. He's like, let's go. Let's do this. He's like, everyone, pack your bags. If you flip over to Joshua chapter 3, starting at verse 9, you see this story take place. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites, all the ites, right? See the Ark of the Covenant. We talked about the Ark of the Covenant last week. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, of all the earth, will go into the Jordan River ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. So he's going to pick 12 men to carry the Ark. All right. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream, it's coming downhill, will be cut off and stand up in a heap, so when the people broke camp, sometimes you got to break camp to get into the promise, by the way. You can't just sit on your hands. So when they broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan was at flood stage. Everyone say flood stage. Flood stage. The Zor is full. All during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests... Who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge. The water from the upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap at a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of uh, Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Ereba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm, miracles coming. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. But all Israel, by the way, millions, passed by until so the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So 40 years earlier, God parts the Red Sea, showed them the miraculous, showed them that he could do anything. Yet they struggled to believe, yet they struggled to enter into his promise. So he says, fine, I'll do it again. <laughs> I like to say this a lot. Aren't you thankful we have a do-it-again God? I like to say it because I know I need it. I, some, I need two, three, four, sometimes I need 20 times to get it. Thank, thank God you're a do-it-again God. Now, before God parted the waters, it's important to notice what happened in verse 15. Check out verse 15. It says, As soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. I want to think about this moment, right? The priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which is literally what it sounds like. A big ark, they're carrying it. The, wa- the river is at flood stage. It's moving at a rapid, raging pace. They could step in, and the ark, which is the most important thing they have, could be swept away, right? This could be catastrophic. Remember, the edge is steep. It's, it's treacherous. I mean, they could, have, they could have tested it first, right? They could have been like, Cousin Eddie, get up here, bro. This is really important, the ark we're carrying, Why don't you just step in there and see what happens. Water's warm, you'll be a hero. They didn't do it though, right? They didn't do it. Instead, they stepped in with the most precious thing they had in life. They stepped into the river, and that's when God moved. This is a theme in the scriptures. God will move when we place our trust in him. He didn't part the Jordan River before they, before they stepped in, right? He didn't do it like hours ahead of time or days ahead of time. He wasn't trying to give them assurance beforehand. No, he is faithful in our faithfulness. God doesn't always provide the miracle before we need the miracle. Sometimes he does. Thankfully, sometimes God goes before us and does things for us just to help us along the way. But sometimes he's like, listen, I've already showed you enough. I've already done enough. I, you need to get stepping. I've already told you, and I've already showed you, and I've already proved to you over and over again. Would you just step into the river? Step in. Sometimes he's like, you got. he promises freedom, right? But sometimes you got to step into freedom. He promises forgiveness, but sometimes you got to forgive that person who hurts you. you got to step into that. Sometimes, you know, he promises blessings, but sometimes you're going to have to trust him by sowing those seeds, putting that seed in the ground, trusting that he's going to bring about blessing. So here's what this whole message is really going to be about. All of us have rivers to cross in our story. Sometimes the river is at flood stage. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not that deep. But the rivers that we have to step, hope, step into, it's typically a threshold that God's putting in front of us. They represent a crossing over from what was to what is to come. We can't ask God to part the waters if we aren't willing to step into the river. Typically, we come up against something difficult in life. We come up against what we can kind of metaphorically say is a river raging in front of us, blocking our way forward. We can't get to the other side. Perhaps you've hit a financial challenge. Maybe you can't get the job you want. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe you've hit a spiritual wall and you just feel like God's a million miles away from you. It can feel like a raging river flowing in between, downstream. And it's leading to the Dead Sea, just death and destruction. And in those times, we do all we can out of our own strength to figure out how to get across the river, don't we? We look for a bridge. We go up and down that riverbank. We look for a bridge. We look to build a bridge. You know, we look for a tree swing. We're like, there's a low spot. They're like, "There's there's a log. Maybe I can balance across. I don't know. We just try to do everything we can before we step into the water. Trust God for the miracle. Some of you are standing up against the Zohar right now. The river is in front of you and it is at flood stage. And it's bad. But because we usually prioritize what we can accomplish, what we can do, what's possible in our natural world, many of us are missing out on what God can do right now. You're walking by the miracle, you're speeding by the master musician, right, who's playing a song that you should stop and listen to. No matter what your river is, I just want you to hear today that God has a promise on the other side of it. Listen, we all have our own version of rivers in life. Yes, this is a metaphor. Yes, I'm trying to make it practical to everyone of your lives. The river represents the things standing between you and the promise. But rivers are sometimes a rite of passage, aren't they? It's where our breakthrough lives. It's where miracle moments happen. But you have to be strong and courageous is what God said to to Joshua. You're going to have to step into that river and you won't know exactly what I'm going to do. You're going to have to do what you've never done. You're going to have to go somewhere you've never gone. But I just want to say today that the river is where revival lives. Because it's where you choose to look for God's power. By the way, sometimes, sometimes the river finds us. Lands us we just land, The circumstances of life, the hardship, the hope we're walking in, it just lands us at the bank of the river and we're like, oh my gosh, I got to do something. It's right in front of you. But there's some of us, though, that we, we actually have to go look for the river because we're out wandering in the wilderness. And it's time for you to look for the river in your life. Because I just want to say this too, not every river is a problem, not every river is a struggle, but every river is a pathway. It's a passage from one part of a journey to another. Remember, the Jordan River was the boundary between the wilderness and the promised land. Many of you need to go look for the river right now. It's Mike King, right? He went looking for healing. It's time to get ready revival in your life. It's time to position yourself for God to move. It's time to quit doing the patty cake version of faith. It's it's time to quit going through the motions. It's it's time to, to say you care one day and the next day you don't think about God at all. We are often too comfortable with the status quo in life running through the train station, getting on the train, going to the next stop, right? We get comfortable in our jobs and in our homes, going to Target and ordering DoorDash or whatever it is we do. We get comfortable in the wander when we need to be living in the wonder of God. Life is brimming with the potential for seas and rivers to be split and miracles to be made, but we only see what we want to see. Are we stopping and paying attention to what God has in front of us and all around us? So what do we do with this message? I, I want to. I uh, three questions for you. Three questions. If God is speaking to you today about your life, kind of what's next for you, you'll write, you can write these down if this is like, hey, this is, I need this today. Write them down. Take a picture of the questions as they come up on screen. You can pray on them, reflect on them, meditate, think. First question is this, what is your river? What do you need God's power to get through? That's probably the easiest way to say it. What is in front of you that you're like, I actually do need God to help me with this? For some of you, it's like, it's, it's personal. It's like, well, I'm, I'm complacent. I, I'm driven on consumerism. My whole life is about getting more and accumulating more things. And I know that's wrong. Or maybe it's distraction or busyness or loneliness or pain or hurt. The list goes on and on. Maybe you're just curious. Like, I don't know what my future holds. It's like this river running in front of me. I don't know how to cross it. What is preoccupying you? What is getting in the way of revival flowing through your life? So if you're not standing at the edge of the river already, I, want to, I do want to remind you, go find the river. Not every river is a problem but every river is a pathway. I did. Listen, my friends, for some of you, it's not just a roadblock in front of you. The the river's at flood stage, I get it. But once you identify your river and you're like, you're clear about it, then you can start looking for God to move in it. Then you start going, wow, I don't need to, I, I, it's not out of my strength that I need to cross this thing. I need God's power to get through this thing. So, number two is what is God's promise? What is God's promise? What does God have for you on the other side? You're like, I don't know what God's promise is. Well, can I just remind you of a few of them? Because they're extensive. He promises peace, He promises to provide, He promises to grow us, He promises to turn what the enemy meant for evil into good, He promises freedom. He promises to empower you, to gift you. He promises to give you a purpose and a plan. He promises to never leave you or forsake you. He promises to to be with you every day of your life, to follow you around with the goodness and mercy that will never leave you. He promises to go before you when you are lost without any knowledge of what is next. He says, I will be with you. I will lead you. I promise, I promise to never leave you. This is what he says. And some of us, some of us, we just need to hear that over and over again. What does he promise? What's on the other side of this river? What do you need? Is it aligned with his promises? Because on the other side of that, what are you expecting God to do? Because this is what I mean by the promise. Sometimes when I don't expect to see something happen, well, guess what? I see what I want to see. It doesn't happen. But when I expect to experience God's promise, I might find what I'm looking for. I might see what I'm longing for. And the third question: how does God want you to step in? How does He want you to step into that river? And you're like, Tim, these are are questions you're supposed to be answering for me. And I'm supposed to sit here and go, okay, here's what you do. You take one step in. Now, listen, he will prompt you. I believe this. Like, Once you identify the river, once you're like, God, I know there's a promise coming, there's a healing coming, there's a breakthrough coming, there's something coming, I believe He's gonna prompt you in your heart, and you're gonna have this moment like the Israelites did when you could either be scared to step in, right? So instead of stepping in, they withdrew. And I already said this revivals never happen through withdrawal, revivals only happen when we respond to the promptings that God puts in our heart. And if God prompts you, He speaks to you, He says something to you, He's like, hey, go talk to that person. Hey, go go, go go, talk to that person. Go. I need, you to, I need you to give this away. I need you to trust me in this decision. So there's a big decision in front of you. You're like, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm going to trust him. He's prompting me. I, I feel a whisper from the Spirit saying, this is the way to go. I'm going to trust him in this. I know a story of someone who was walking through some difficult financial challenges. God prompted her to give away her car in the middle of all that. That's not easy to do. But she did it, she stepped in, and on the other side of that river was God's faithfulness. Did you know that he never returns faithfulness with anything except deeper and wider faithfulness from him? God will lead you in how to step into that river, but you gotta listen and you gotta respond to the prompt. Because remember, revivals are rooted and response. So reflect on these questions. Because here's what I know. I know the river is where revival lives. And I know that when we respond to the things God's putting in our heart, he will reveal the promise. We will get to see what we wanna see. It's not just wish it into existence. That is not what this message is about. It is about changing your expectations for your life. It's about saying, I'm gonna have eyes to see the things that most people don't see. I'm going to be one of the seven that stop instead of the 1,100 that walk by. I'm going to notice when the master is at work. I'm going to pay attention that God is on the move, that God is active, that he is doing something in this world, and that he wants me to be a part of it. I'm going to pay attention. Earlier this year, I felt like the Holy Spirit was prompting me to, stop hedging and start stepping. (laughs) I feel like I overthink. And when I overthink, guess what? When he prompts, I pause. Anybody with me? When he prompts, I pause. God's like, you know what? Why don't you quit hedging and start stepping instead? Why don't you start trusting me instead? I've been trying to practice that that this year. And guess what? I'm not perfect at it. In fact, I'm pretty bad at it. Because... Here's what I'm learning is that I try and control everything that God has already got control of. We can never forget that God is the way maker, that he is the one that makes the way through the waters. We don't, we can't. It's flood stage, it's 20 feet deep. It's 150 feet wide, but he can. Quit hedging, start stepping. We see what we wanna see. I wanna read a passage to you and I'll be done. Ephesians 1, verse 18. I love this passage. Through Christ, we are given spiritual eyes to see. You know that, right? We are given spiritual eyes to see what only God can do. This is what this verse is saying. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, may be opened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you to. If you could have the eyes to see, you would understand the hope that God has. God has. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That's the promise, isn't it? And his incomparably great power for us who believe. God can do anything. If we would just have the eyes to see so we can have the hope to know that he will fulfill the promises through his power. You getting that? The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. How many know that's a good verse? That's a good passage. I want spiritual eyes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that I may know the hope to which you have called me to, so I can see your incomparable great power. God can and will accelerate his work as we step into his river. So church fam, I want to pray for us. But I just want to say this, no more wandering and walking by the master musician. Don't do it. Find the river. Ask the Lord, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see what you want me to see, God. No more hedging. I want to start stepping. I want to experience the river that when we step into it, it builds revival hope in my heart. I wanna pray this over us. So let's just have a time of ministry and prayer. And if you don't mind, I know it's a little early for some of us to do this, but I would do wanna invite you to stand. I like to, I like to stand when we pray as often as we can, but I just wanna invite the Holy Spirit to come. I said earlier that I think you're here for a reason today. You're not here by accident, you're here for a reason. Just bow your heads, close your eyes if you're comfortable doing that. You know, I know that we are all over the spectrum in this room of our spiritual walk with the Lord. Some of us are close to God. Some of us are, like I said earlier, we feel a million miles away from Him. Some of us believe, some of us doubt. I get it. I think every one of us have probably been where you are to some measure. And so Holy Spirit, You know every one of us. You know every hair on our head. You know where we sit and when we rise. You know our struggles. You know our hardships. You know our doubts and concerns. You know when we are afraid and we don't want to step in. You know when we want to withdraw. You know all these things about us, yet you still love us. You see us. You haven't rejected us. Lord, I believe you always invite us. You always are looking for us. Father, would you just right now in your kindness and in your grace, would you meet everyone where they are? Would you show them that you are trying to take them from what was to what is to come? Lord, fill us with hope today. Fill up with the desire for more of you, God. I pray that for every person.